0: Hey there, my name is Jackie and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Today I want to share an interview with you that I recorded in 2021. And this interview is with the then 17-year-old Dhruv Pai. And he had started an organization called Teens Helping Seniors. Now, this organization is no longer active. However, when I recorded this episode, I made a point not to focus on the organization itself so much. I did want to share what he was doing. It was an organization that you could volunteer with regardless of where you lived. But the purpose of doing this interview was because I wanted to share his story of how he started a volunteer organization at only 17 years old, and it was actually a nonprofit. And the message of volunteering and the benefits that a person can get from volunteering benefits to the volunteer themselves. And clearly, you want to benefit others when you're volunteering, but there are benefits to the person who is volunteering. So, I really felt like this was an inspirational episode that could inspire other teenagers, which is another reason that I shared the episode. So, I wanted to explain that before I share this episode again. There are so many lessons that you can take away from this episode. Now, there is an article that corresponds with this podcast episode, and if you want to learn more about what Dhruv is doing today, you can check out that article, and there is a link to his social media profile. And I hope you will listen to this, and if you have teenagers, I hope that you come back and listen to it again with them. There is also the video on the blog post that goes with this podcast episode. So if you wanted to watch it, you could do that. So enjoy the episode and I will see you on the other side of it. Today, I am interviewing an outstanding, a remarkable young man. So I want to know, have you ever watched someone doing something great and you wanted to help? That is really how I felt when I heard about this young man. Today, I will be interviewing Drew Pai. He's a high school student who started a nonprofit organization with his friend, Matthew Kesertano. Together, they started Teens Helping Seniors. Now look at what they have achieved since they started this organization as a result of the COVID pandemic in 2020. They have done 2,900 grocery deliveries. That's right, 2,900 grocery deliveries. He has over 1,000 volunteers, 1,050 at last count. 33 chapters have been started since Dhruv Pai started his organization, Teens Helping Seniors, and 17 states and provinces now have volunteers and elderly people who are being served. Dhruv Pai's story has been featured in People, Time for Kids, and PBS. Washington Post and Telemundo. Drew, say hello, please. Hey
1: everybody. Thank you so much for the kind words and introduction. And it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to speaking.
0: You're welcome. I am so excited to have you here, Drew. So uh, would you tell our listeners what what was the catalyst for this organization? Because this is only a year old and you've achieved a lot in a year.
1: Yep. So I got to say that when the COVID pandemic was starting in Maryland, which is my home state, which was roughly the end of March um, last year, and I wasn't expecting to start a nonprofit organization. I didn't go into the pandemic thinking, okay, I'm going to start this service to help elderly citizens in my community. It was really driven by a need that I saw and that I witnessed. And so the way I witnessed it was with my own grandparents, because they live in the area. They recently moved into their apartment. And I noticed that, you know, whenever we brought up the words COVID and whenever we looked at the news, there was just this little hint of fear in their eyes, you know, because there was a a lot of news going around about how this could hospitalize the elderly or potentially even worse. And so I saw that fear really exacerbated when they went to the grocery store, because I don't know, for some reason, people there chose not to wear masks or chose to ignore social distancing. And so it was a huge risk for them. And so I really wanted to mitigate that risk. And that was sort of the driving impetus for that organization. It started out on a personal level so that I could help my own grandparents, so that I could make their lives easier. But we quickly realized that there was an an incredible need all over the country. And so it expanded beyond that.
0: That is awesome. So you started by helping your own grandparents. And then what?
1: Yep. So I started out helping my own grandparents. And then I carpool with my best friend, Matthew. We go to the same school. And so one day after school, I told him, hey, I can't make carpool today. I have to go help my own grandparents. Um, And so he said that he'd been doing the same thing as well and and for the same reasons. And that's when I, it sort of clicked for me that maybe this wasn't something that was just happening for me. And then I sort of raised the question of, what about people who don't have grandchildren? What about people who don't have other people to depend on during these times? Do they have to choose between their personal safety and their necessities? And that question was the springboard that started our organization. And when I say an organization, it wasn't an organization when it started. It was just a small group of, Uh, I don't know, five, six, seven uh, volunteers just from our our local high schools, friends that we knew personally. And so it really started from just that that really small group. And we definitely didn't expect it to grow into an organization, but it really expanded with the need that we saw. And eventually that grew up all over the nation and even in Canada.
0: That's outstanding. Now, I want to do something before we move forward. I forgot to tell my listeners why I'm interviewing you exactly, because this is homeschool think tank, and you are a public school student. So generally, we're interviewing people who have something to do with homeschooling here. But here are the reasons I am interviewing Drew. Number one, I believe that homeschooling families are in a perfect position to help an organization like yours, to volunteer with an organization like yours. And I believe there are a lot of educational lessons for people that happen when they volunteer. And there's benefits to both the giver and the receiver. (laughs) So both people benefit. Now, the second reason I'm interviewing you is I believe that you are a true inspiration to teenagers, whether you go to school or whether you homeschool, because you've taken something that was, you're really just helping your grandparents at first. And you're, then you realize your friend is helping his grandparents. And then you're going, Hmm, maybe, There's other people we should be helping too. And you've, you just took this idea and you ran with it. So even if a teenager or a person does not want to volunteer with your organization specifically, I want them to see how they can take an idea of their own and run with it. And you've illustrated this beautifully because while you weren't a nonprofit from day one, you've actually started a nonprofit now. So tell me about that first time that you you really started reaching somebody you don't even know Mm -hmm. and how that happened. How did that go?
1: Right. So I think the hardest part for any small volunteer organization is just overcoming that first hurdle, reaching out to people and telling them that your service is there and, and they're ready to support people in the community. And so for us, that really happened when we were delivering to each of our relatives and sometimes indirect relatives like aunts and uncles in the area. And so, for example, one of Matthew's relatives, his grandmother lives in an elderly retirement community. And so we delivered to her one day. And so the next day, we found out that she told three or four other people in in the community. And then we realized that there was this potential to spread through word of mouth that we didn't even realize was there. And so we got more requests that way. And in similar manner, you know it spread like wildfire throughout the community. And suddenly we saw more and more people signing up, reaching out to us, asking for deliveries purely through word of mouth. And that kind of made us realize that if we can do so much through indirect word of mouth, imagine what we could do harnessing the power of, of social media and harnessing the power of uh, news and, and other different utilities. And so that's when we really started thinking about how we could reach out to other people.
0: I love it. So who is the first person you net you didn't know that you delivered to?
1: Hmm. So I'd say the first person that I delivered to that I didn't know uh, was Marie. She lives nearby in another senior residential community. And she uh, is unable to go to the grocery store, unfortunately. She has an injury as well as her son has Down syndrome. So unfortunately, she can't get out of the house and there's no one to get groceries for her. And so when she reached out to us, I... You know, I I didn't know who she was when when she first reached out. But through the deliveries that we had with her every single week and through the interactions and the phone calls that we had with her, I gradually got a sense of who she was, what she cared about and and what a kind, passionate woman she is. And eventually now we've gotten to the point where we're almost friends. And so I, I think it's beautiful that that sort of bond can develop between our volunteer and our senior. And that's by no means an exception. That happens all the time with our volunteers and our seniors.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. When I was in your age group, I absolutely would have jumped on board with you. Where I am now, my way of helping is going to be by helping spread the word and helping find volunteers. And if my own children want to participate in something like this, I'll support that. But when I was 19, I'll share this real quick and then we'll move forward. When I first moved out of my house, I had an elderly man who lived across the street from me. And my parents were always friends with the neighbors, you know, in our neighborhood. And so I quickly began looking for friends. And most of the friends in this neighborhood were elderly people. Mm-hmm. I developed such a strong friendship with this man. And I almost every day went and sat at his kitchen table and visited with him. And oh, at one point, this a younger woman burglarized him. He, she knocked on his door asking for help. And when he opened it, she sprayed him with mace and he couldn't see. And I took him to doctor's appointments and all these things. And I I loved and cherished that friendship. But what I didn't even think about as a 19 year old is that he probably absolutely loved this and looked forward to seeing me every day because I was the most company that he had. And just like that, as you're delivering groceries, you are, you're probably bringing so much joy. You're, I think you're probably delivering so much more than food to these people, especially if they live alone, especially right now, while you can't hardly go out and do things, it's lonely, you know, it's bringing this back. And I, I love your passion and your enthusiasm
1: for everything you're doing. Actually, that's one of the, oh, go ahead. Uh, that's that's actually one of the lessons that we sort of learned. You know, initially we started out as just delivering groceries, like you were saying, but during this time of, of the pandemic, you know, everyone has to stay within their house. So already isolated seniors are suddenly even more isolated. They can't even see their own relatives at times. And so suddenly we start to realize that maybe there's an aspect of mental health here. Maybe we're able to actually form a sort of intergenerational bond. And what I like about your story is that you talked about your sort of, your catalyst, your your impetus to form a bond with a senior, right? And that's something that the pandemic has given to many young people, right? Because normally, you know, maybe people wouldn't talk to people outside their generation. That's what we were seeing before the pandemic. But because of, you know, the strain that this has caused on our society, because we're all being forced into the same situation, it's created the conditions where we can cross that intergenerational barrier and we can make friendships across an age gap. And I, I think that's one of the, the really positive things that has come out of this pandemic.
0: You know what? You will benefit so much, I believe, from the friendships that you're making. And you will learn so much about history, too, Drew, because... Actually, the, the man that I helped, he worked in Los Alamos National Laboratories, you know, <laughs> World War II times. And I learned a lot, a lot of really neat his historical documents that he had from that time frame. And you, I think, have you already learned some things that you would not have learned otherwise?
1: Yeah, I definitely have learned, I don't know if I've learned um, so much in the academic sense as in the case of historical documents, but I've definitely learned to not take things at face value, to not to, for example, to not judge a book by its cover, because even if you see a stranger on the street, you have no idea, you know, what their situation is. And for all you know, you could be the one to help them out, to lift up their day. And so I was really in in my own teenage bubble, you know, not really realizing that there were people... Who were dealing with these kinds of issues during the pandemic, and so this has really popped my bubble. And it hasn't taught me so much about history. Uh, maybe it will in the future, but it really has taught me the value of human skills, like what what empathy really means, especially during a crisis. And so I think that's one of the things that I've really I've been grateful to to gain from this pandemic. Um, and yeah, even though that it, it might sound a little twisted, I'm a little happy that this that this pandemic really gave me the catalyst to do something like that because I'm not sure if it would have happened okay. without it
0: I understand that it's a, it's okay I don't think it's twisted you're making the best of a bad situation that's really the bottom line so break that down for me a little bit about the human skills that you're learning and mm-hmm. through this and yep. yeah break that down a little bit if you can
1: hmm um, so starting with the, the more superficial skills that you learn from simply doing uh, starting up any nonprofit volunteer group and trying to organize a lot of young people, you really first learn the value of communication because when you're starting out as a small team, you're not going to get anyone onto your team unless you can persuade them. And so you need to learn you know, how to persuade people to join your volunteer organization, how to convince them that what you're doing will actually create some good. And that they will get something out of it, whether it be SSL hours, student service learning hours, or whether it's the recognition that comes with volunteering or the self-satisfaction that comes with helping people, whatever it is for different people. And I think a second one that really goes hand in hand with that is the value of grit. Because when we were starting out, it was incredibly difficult because at one point, well, well, there were two phases where it was really difficult. The first part was when we were really, really small. uh, News organizations didn't notice us, they didn't want to feature us really. Uh, Our social media presence was minuscule. And so we really had to do a lot of personal networking, reaching out, and that took a long time. And then the second part is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, suddenly we started blowing up and we started getting a lot and a lot and a lot of requests and too many to the point where we couldn't handle all of them at times. But our worst fear, you know, was that something would slip through the cracks, that we'd miss something and and we'd make a mistake. And so there was always and that situation went on for for months. And so there was always this sort of, you know perseverance that had to be held because there were hundreds and hundreds of delivery requests that had to be manually sorted out. And at times it was just the two of us, Matthew and I, and so that really taught me the value of grit and something I probably wouldn't have without the pandemic. When it comes to more human skills, I think a lot of our volunteers have really learned from their interactions with their seniors. And for me especially, I actually learned a new word. Uh, I, I didn't know this word before I started the organization. Well, I wasn't familiar with the word I, I'd heard of it, but it taught me the word altruism. And so altruism means, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It starts with empathy, but then it also goes to the next step of, of helping them, right? And helping them in the best way you see possible. And so not only do I believe that, you know, our volunteers' experiences and my experiences have taught us the value of altruism, but especially during this pandemic and, and during these difficult situations, altruism is the best thing our society can have. Man, I love you.
0: <laughs> I, I love your passion. And a, a part of what I love here is this is coming out of a teenager. How old are you?
1: I'm 17. I just 17. turned
0: 17. Okay. I thought last time you, you were 16. So <laughs> you must've just had a birthday. So yeah, you are seeing so much further than yourself. And this is one of the great things about volunteering is you really do get to see where other people are in the world and start understanding their perspective. And I want to share one other thing with you real quick, because it relates. So what I was talking about, I, I, I have a genuine like, love for the elderly. And a lot of that comes from when I was in that 19 year old stage and I was a lifeguard and I ended up teaching swimming lessons. And then I ended up teaching water therapy classes for the elderly. And I cannot tell you how much I have thought of them through this pandemic. And here's why. For the group of people that I taught water therapy classes to, and I lifeguarded while there was senior citizens lap swimming going on, That was their sense of community was around the swimming pool. But also, I mean, we had, I remember this lady, she had rheumatoid arthritis. She was clearly in so much pain and we had to, gosh, it was, we didn't even have the electronic lifts in and out of the pool. We had like a hand pump thing that we would lower her in and raise her out every day. But I thought a woman like her, this pandemic had to be horrible because the swimming pool was closed and you can't tell me that's a luxury. That was a necessity for that woman to keep her moving. And for many of the people in that situation, that's not a luxury. A swimming pool for some people is a necessity. It keeps a lot of pain at bay. And so as a result of, in you know, it wasn't volunteering, I was working, I was getting a paycheck, but I learned to have a lot of empathy for the elderly through that job because I saw, I saw their pain, but I also saw their joy and their care and their love for people. And they were always so sweet and brought us all the goodies. And as a 19 year old, I loved all the goodies. <laughs> so, but that's you, you are just getting a, a perspective that is so different than your own. And to, I think to get that as a teenager is a huge deal because it, it is a very different perspective. And you'll probably appreciate your body a lot more as you, <laughs> as you help older people, because you realize there's some, not every older person, but a lot of older people have a difficult time moving it just getting to the door to open it for you can be difficult. Anyway, I just, I, I like all these things that you're sharing. So you said something a moment ago that I jotted down. Let's see. You were talking about persuading people and to join your cause. So a part of the reason I'm sharing this today is because if somebody wants to start an organization of their own, let's say a teenager, or if they want to help your organization, they're probably going to want to persuade their friends to join them or let's say a homeschooling group. Of course. Whether you're an adult and you're trying to persuade teenagers or you're a teenager trying to persuade the adults and other teenagers to help you, what were some of the tactics that you used? Even if you Mm -hmm. didn't realize they were tactics initially, but at some point you realized there are some things that work better than others.
1: Yep. So persuasion is a skill that will come in handy almost anywhere, even in for-profit businesses. But the reason why I think it's you know, particularly crucial uh, in, in volunteering is because there is no direct benefit for many people. Many people see volunteering as having no return, right? And you have to persuade those types of people too. Not everyone is interested immediately to volunteer. The vast majority of people, their first reaction will be apprehensive. And so you really have to get past that first barrier. And so here are some of the tactics that I've learned as part of Teens Helping Seniors. So the first one is to be personal. No one wants to receive, you know, mass emails that are clearly written by a robot, right? And no one wants to talk to someone who sounds like they're reading off a script. You wanna to talk to someone who you can tell as a person, who has experiences, who has values, and who's willing to share them with you and who can be open about things like that, right? And so when you first start your volunteer organization and you're first trying to look for volunteers, the best way you can get a volunteer is to make a friend, right? Because if you make a friend, then they'll be so much more receptive to your cause. They'll be so much more willing to volunteer with you, uh, even if your organization is small. And so that's where I recommend that you start. The second strategy, which is more direct is You have to really convince people that there's a need, right? And so there are a lot of things going on during the pandemic. There are a lot of good things. There are a lot of bad things. And as such, there are a lot of causes that need to be fulfilled. And you're really trying to pitch your cause to the person, right? You're trying to convince them that your cause is the one that they should invest time in as opposed to any other cause. And so part of that is you have to demonstrate that there's a need for it there are people who are suffering and the second part of that is you have to demonstrate that there's a need for them specifically whether it be in their community whether it be in their family and the thing I like to do here is you can take approaches like imagine if so you can pitch those imagine if scenarios you know imagine if uh, your relative was the one who is in this situation what would you do to help them out etc um, and so once you have that need then you can move on to step three which is demonstrate you have a solution, right? Demonstrate that your group is working hard, putting together solutions, helping people in the real world. And starting out, you know, you wanna get a few, well, for my organization, it's deliveries, right? My organization's a delivery organization. So for us, we wanted to get a few deliveries under our belt uh, so that we can show people, given our user testimonials, given what our volunteers have done, Whenever people want to come on board, we can show them that our organization has positive results, that we're able to actually do something with the people that we have. Because people don't want to volunteer to a cause that's not going anywhere, right? They want to know that if they put in the hours, someone on the other end is actually receiving what they're putting in. And so that's the last step in the chain. And hopefully if you get to that point, people will be receptive to the cause and you'll be able to get a lot of volunteers. But it is always hardest with those first few.
0: Outstanding. I would have thought I gave you an outline before we started. So just so our listeners know, he had no idea coming in what questions I was going to ask him. Drew only knew my purpose for having him on the podcast, which is to inspire teenagers and if families can help volunteer, they could join in with his organization. That was my purpose. So, that was beautiful, Drew. You are well-spoken. Thank you. Okay. So my next question for you is, and this is something that if a teenager wants to get this going, they might have to overcome these obstacles too, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't start this alone. So why don't you tell us who you started it with and how that happened? Well, you told us a little at the beginning, but tell us about some of the obstacles and benefits of doing this together. You know, some of the challenges too.
1: Yep. So I should probably start by giving you a brief background. So the person I started with the, this with is a fellow student who's also in my grade called Matthew Casertano. I have known him since about sixth grade, which would be five years ago. And so we first met over common interests because we did clubs together. Uh, we were both in math club. We were both in debate club. And so I wouldn't say that we really become close friends until eighth grade or so. Because that's when we really started doing a lot of these activities together. And we started taking a lot of long road trips to go to debate competitions and to come back. And so that's when we started to become best friends. And so we really didn't do volunteering until ninth and tenth grade. And that's when, you know, we first sort of got into volunteering together. I'd been doing it a bit in middle school on my own. And We never really thought about starting a volunteer organization together. Uh, I actually hadn't even considered starting a volunteer organization before teens helping seniors. I was always more content in a follower role or in in a lower leader role, but starting an organization is very daunting and there's no one better to have by your side than someone that you know that you can trust and someone you know that you can depend on. And I have to say that, you know, It was really difficult, even for the two of us. There were some days where we just couldn't keep up. And at some times, you know, it felt like we were more business partners than friends, right? Managing this huge organization because we didn't really have time to do the things that we used to do with each other, um, like go to escape rooms, play video games. And instead, we had to manage all these delivery requests that are coming in. Thankfully, you know, because of his efforts, because of my efforts, we were able to work together and we were able to get it all done to get the organization to the scale that it is. And that's not to say that you need to start your organization with a friend. And I've seen plenty of people, some very, very inspired young people, who start solo organizations that get huge, right? Because they have that initiative, they have that grit. But I think that it's truly the more the merrier when it comes to volunteering. I'm happy to have started with my friend. Uh, I'm happy to have gotten more of my friends on board as the initial members. And some of my closest friends are now fulfilling some of the highest positions in our nonprofit organizations, such as our national coordinators. And so I, I'm really happy that, you know, the people that I'm most, most comfortable with got involved with the organization. And were willing to help me out.
0: Have you had any uh, like real challenges that anything that strained your friendship? And if you did, how did you overcome it? Mm -hmm. Because friendships are valuable. And when you have a good friend, you don't want to lose that. Yeah. So how have you? You've had to have some.
1: Yeah, yeah. So our biggest fear when this was blowing up was really people falling through the cracks. It was really us. Missing an email in the inbox because we had a shared inbox, right? So it was really about us missing an email in the inbox and then not getting to a delivery or not getting to an interview request or not getting to a social media post that we needed to get to. And there was there was going to be some backlash from that. And we didn't want it to happen, right? Because we were still new and we didn't want anything bad to happen because it could have easily derailed our organization. And so that was the huge, huge fear especially when starting out. And because we had a shared inbox, right, if one person reads the emails, then it sort of becomes, it's no longer shows up as new, right? And so the other person probably won't read the emails. And so the person who reads the emails doesn't do anything about it. Then there's sort of a problem because there's no one else to fall back on. No one's going to check on it. And so that was, that was a problem. We had a few one, two, three instances of that occurring. And that was... That was a big deal, uh, especially for both of us, because the first the first thing that comes to mind is kind of a human instinct when something like that happens is to blame, right? To blame who got it wrong and overcoming that part of it, going from blame to trying to fix what's left and trying to make do is a big step. And just overcoming that alone does strain a friendship. And so it was difficult at times, but thankfully we were able to get through it.
0: So, how do you guys handle that today? Not necessarily the actual organizational part, but if somebody makes a mistake, Mm -hmm. do you blame still?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, you You blame. It's turned from, you own it. It used to be um, me and you, like, okay, I didn't make the mistake, you made the mistake, et cetera. And now it is we made a mistake. And so it's a sort of way for us to, share the blame shoulder the blame um because we're i don't know it's kind of like we're treated as we're treated as one when it comes to teens helping seniors right because we're the founding body of teens helping seniors so if we make a mistake right it's on both of us if if one of us doesn't show up on the to the interview it's on both of us one for not showing up the other for not reminding them to be there right and so it's really become more about we shoulder the blame at this point, which I think is really positive that's in That's a long step
0: term. in the right direction for sure. That's much better than blaming the other person. It is hard. I can, you know, I'm 47 years old. I can still be like, you did it. But the more you can own it, the better your life will be. Whatever it is, I can tell you and just, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's my fault. Even if in your own mind, I think if You don't really feel like it was truly your fault, but how could have I helped? How could have I helped prevent that? And what could I do to help prevent this in the future? But I definitely think you guys have moved in the right direction. to we, and then if you both look at it and say, okay, I could do this better and I could do this better, then you'll you'll keep moving forward. Because I think, you know, partnerships and say business or nonprofit, a partnership is a hard thing. It's not a small thing. And It's hard to get an organization going if there's one person leading, but when there's a partnership, it's hard. And these are big challenges for anybody, but I think even more so, you are younger, but I think you're handling this beautifully. And the fact that you're doing so much, I really commend you both and anybody who's been behind the scenes support to help you. You guys are doing a fantastic job. And I want to encourage our listeners to definitely check out Teams Helping Seniors I'm hopping in here real quick just to let you know that we have an article all about Dhruv Pai and Teens Helping Seniors at homeschoolthinktank.com slash teenshelpingseniors. You can watch the video and learn more about Dhruv there. All right, back to the episode. So Drew, I know we're coming to the end of our time. I could keep you here for a couple of days. You have... Gained a wealth of knowledge, and I really do believe you are a true inspiration. Let me look at my notes real quick and make sure there's not something really. Oh, I had one thing, and this will be a great closing thing. Mm-hmm. You talked about not everybody wants to volunteer. So, if somebody doesn't want to volunteer, or let's say a mom been like kids come watch this video watch this awesome 17 year old who's doing amazing things in the world and they're like yeah I don't want to do that (laughs) whether it's your organization or another one but the parents are thinking yeah let's volunteer let's do something how do you Mm -hmm. think it's best to approach somebody who you, you sort of outlined it earlier but if you were to give two or three tips to how to approach the person that doesn't want to volunteer, but you're like, let's do it as a family. How do you think that someone can overcome those objections?
1: Yeah, I can really speak to this because I was one of those people, to tell you the truth. Uh, I was one of those people when I was going into middle school, I was – our school had a volunteer club that met after school. And I was apprehensive to the point of, you know, almost scornful of the idea of volunteering because I didn't know what it meant, right? I had no experience with it. And in my idea, you know, I was immature at the time. I thought that they were just wasting time, right? And so you might ask, how did I, how did I actually get involved in volunteering, right? And so the way that I see most people get involved in volunteering isn't from an external force, but it's really an internal force, right? Because you focus on what you're interested in. Okay, you might not be interested in volunteering, but what are you interested in? Maybe you're interested in art, in painting pictures. Maybe you're interested in science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, writing programs, whatever you're interested in, because everyone has their own interests, right? Find a way to apply that to volunteering, because there's always going to be a way that you can use what you love and at the same time help people. To the point where it doesn't feel like volunteering. It just feels like doing what you love, doing what you're interested in. And whatever that is, you can find a way for it to help people. And so what I was really interested in when I was going into middle school, especially, I was interested in science, tech, math. You know, I, I was I was pretty much a geek. I still am a geek. But basically, I wanted a way to apply that. And so when an opportunity came along, for example, for me to participate in a local hackathon benefiting kids with cerebral palsy, so to see if we can use our technology skills to make something for, you know, people who really need it, that was when I first got involved, because that was when I could use my skills, that was when I could apply what I was interested in, what when I could learn and at the same time, help people. So it really, it starts out like that, it starts out with just doing what you're interested in. And it changes from internal focus to external focus. And eventually, when you go down that pipeline, get to the point where you're doing it. To help people and for yourself and so that's how you really build that sense of that altruism and empathy that comes with volunteering but in terms of just getting that first foot in it's about finding something that you're interested in and sort of the second point on that is you kind of mentioned in your question but an important part of volunteering is to make it fun and to make it something you do together right because volunteering by yourself it takes a lot of courage and for someone who's not who's not done any volunteering in the past, it's it's daunting. It's, it's almost impossible, right? Because doing something by yourself just seems unfamiliar. It seems harsh. But when you do it with your loved ones, when you do it with people that you know, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, you know, whether it's your relatives, then you can suddenly do it to have fun. You can suddenly do it to spend time with your loved ones, right? And you, again, don't have to think about it as volunteering. You can think about it as simply spending time with the people that you care about. And over time... As you do that, and as you tend to find more joy in that kind of thing, you realize that it is about helping people and it is about volunteering. But when you start out, it can be about just spending time with the people that you enjoy spending time with.
0: That's awesome. That's a perfect close. Drew Pie, you have been an outstanding guest. Thank you so much for joining us on the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast and Show <laughs> because we or this is a video as well. So thank you. I've really enjoyed having you. This has been yeah. my pleasure to have you as our guest.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was great to be here and best of luck to everybody who's looking to start their own nonprofit, looking to get involved in another nonprofit or just interested in getting involved with volunteering. You will not regret it. I promise you.
0: So I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Drew Pie and that you were inspired by it. So now that you have listened to this podcast episode, I want to offer this to you. If you have ever considered starting a homeschool group where you live or offering a course or some activity that serves homeschooling families, I am able to help you. I have the skills to help you get that started. So if that is something that interests you, then you can sign up for a homeschool consultation with me. Just go to homeschoolthinktank.com homeschool-consulting and you will see how you can sign up for a free consultation with me and we can visit about that when you come to the free consultation. All right. That's it for this week. Live and learn your way. My name is Jackie and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share it with anyone who you think would find this information useful. Thanks so much. Have a great week.